Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. I'm Lisa Fisher, a longtime broadcaster and journalist in Arkansas who's been in front of a microphone or a camera since the 1980s. I think of myself as the queen of Arkansas media. For this episode, I've called in the experts to talk about midlife and women and how you can feel your best in spite of how many birthdays you've had. Maria and Kristen are functional practitioners with Wise and Well, a social media account you need to start following right now. You'll get to meet them right after this. There's something unique about what they do at Ralston Family Farms. Now, you've heard me talk about them for over a year. I've gotten to know the family, and I know some things the kids will say, facts, you know, I know some facts about the Ralston family and what they do with this and their philosophy in farming. Yes, the products are outstanding. Check. But let's talk about their footprint from field to mill. It's incredibly small. They never put their rice on trucks to get to grain bins. They cart all of their rice from the field to the bins where the bins tie into the mill. That's not what the other guys do. The other guys buy from a lot of different rice farmers, maybe from this state or other states, and they truck it all in. Not with Ralston Family Farms. They're committed to regenerative farming. They use the local water available, which right there, they're in the Arkansas River Valley, and their products are non-GMO. Plus, they're superior. It's the best rice, the best family from what I think is the best state. Check out their line of products from RalstonFamilyFarms.com. Ask your local grocery store to start stocking their shelves with it. Available at select Costco stores. Plus, it is superior, guys. I'm a health coach. It's the one grain that I eat just about every night. I I have uh, meats and veggies, and I always have Ralston Family Farms a part of my dinner. You've got the quicker cooking rices, the 45-minute cooking rices, and they're all delicious. Outstanding varieties, outstanding family, RalstonFamilyFarms.com. She won most talkative in high school, and she has been running her mouth ever since. Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast with your host, Lisa Fisher. Okay, we're here to talk about all things menopause, women, hormones, and the mystery that lies beneath. And you two women have done your fair share of research on it. How how many years, uh, Maria, tell me, how many years have you been diving into women and menopause? Probably about 10 now. 10 years. So Mm -hmm. the the benefit you have with that is that you are aging as well. So you are learning things the older you get. And then it's not going to hit you in the face. That's what I feel like happens, Kristen. I I feel like healthcare providers, and I I really don't want to blame them. I feel like maybe society and the culture doesn't prepare us for this life change. Because let me tell you, it's not that bad if you get a head start on it. Wouldn't you agree? I would say it's actually the best part of life. I mean, we're, we're I love this chapter of my life right now. And, um, you know, I think women, we have been programmed to think that this needs to be this kind of martyristic approach to my utility is gone. I'm no longer birthing children or I'm no longer mothering or parenting or whatever. My career may be coming to a horizon and suddenly I don't have a lot of things to offer the world. And that is a total bunch of crap. <laughs> I, I absolutely agree with you. I feel like if you're in your best shape and you embrace it and do some of the tricks that I know you all, uh, your proponents of, then you can face it. I think who's hurt by it, Kristen, are women who maybe are not educated as to their choices as to what those waning years of fertility, your cycle, perimenopause is, it's a little bit of a stumble unless, <laughs> unless you're equipped. What, what do you think the number one thing is every woman should do once she hits 40? Oh gosh. Um, avoid the plant-based trap and stop your cardio. Say that again, please say it louder for those in the back. <laughs> avoid the plant-based trap and stop your cardio. Yes. So please eat meat and lift heavy things. It's, it's so true. Um, I see it all the time. I'm a health coach, but I'm also a woman who's about to have a pretty big birthday soon. So I hear from a lot of women who are saying, but I, I'm, I'm in the gym five days a week. I'm in, uh, I'm doing the soul cycle. I'm doing orange the, theory, orange theory. I'm doing all these things and I'm miserable and I weigh more than I've ever weighed. 
and I'm puffier than I've ever been. And I'm, I'm eating a plant-based diet. Isn't that good? So instead of, I've been griping at these listeners of mine all for so long about it. You tell us the, what the, what drags you down in a plant-based diet, especially your hormones. Maria, do you want to go? Uh, well, okay. So my first thing that I go to, and there's there's actually many things, it's just too much of a carbohydrate load for women whose estrogen is uh, in decline. And despite all of the kind of focus on estrogen dominance, which is baloney, um, oh. yeah, um, <laughs> it totally is. We could talk about that at another point, but just to kind of keep it on what's wrong with a plant-based diet, it's just too much carbohydrate. Uh, and we're, we're not anti-carb, but the fact of the matter is when we lose estrogen, and that's exactly what's happening when we are transitioning into menopause, whether you call it menopausal transition or perimenopause, um, with the estrogen loss, we just can't handle the body. The cells just don't need as much glucose as they used to, you know, that you could get away with in your 20s and 30s. And so whereas you can get some protein from a plant-based diet, you have to combine it perfectly. And like, ain't nobody got time for that. No, math <laughs> uh, is involved. So forget it. Exactly. Right. And like, you literally kind of, if you were that committed, you'd probably keep a daily spreadsheet of sorts. And that's just a ridiculous notion. Right. But even so, like, even if you were to get your protein, you're getting probably 4x uh, the amount of carbohydrate that you need. And that's just just frankly unhealthy. Yeah. And I mean, you could isolate protein in plants in a lab and say they have protein, but the reality is you're never going to get heme iron from it. Mm -hmm. So you're, I mean, the amount of anemia that we see of women in their forties is shocking. Um, your body is going to have to convert many of the nutrients. Many times we have genetic snips or inflammation or other things that are going to prevent that conversion. So it's, you're not getting the same nutrients from a plant-based diet that you're getting from a meat or an animal-based diet. That's just science. That's not a condemnation of anyone choosing plant-based. Um, it's just kind of an ignorance that we really, really need to work through because the biggest thing is these women are starving. starving They're hungry all on the a plant-based mm -hmm. diet. Yes. All and the they're not satiated. And I think we've, you know, plants provide a lot of fiber. And so we get this kind of um, delusion that we're full because our stomach is stretched from the fiber, but yet they're searching for food two hours later. And that's the biggest thing is teaching women the satiety that comes with eating an animal-based diet. And, you know, along with the nutrients, along with all the beneficial um, support, vitamins, minerals, et cetera, they can, they're kind of freed from food. I mean, Maria is a perfect example because she, when she made a switch, she was like, I can go five, six hours. I'm not hangry. Not that you need to go five or six hours, but you can. And that's a huge kind of flag of your metabolic flexibility. Plant-based diets just don't give you that. I had a guest on once, um, Brian Sanders from Food Lies. Mm -hmm. He yeah. is absolutely amazing. And he said it best when he said, it's a political movement. And political okay. movements have allowed symbols that make a lot of noise but he, he said, if you look at it, because, you know, there there are people that looking at it morally, well, I don't want to hurt the earth. He said, well, farting cows are less offensive than what these fake foods are making and the emissions from these plants, mm -hmm. you know, literally the manufacturing plant that sure. makes your fake plant. Yeah. And he said, plus, you know, he said, then just the whole paradigm of we, we feel righteous when we say, oh, I'm just, I'm just plant-based. But if people could look, so do men have the same thing? Because, you know, once Bill Clinton went plant-based, he looks horrible. He's yeah. gaunt. He has no color. And, and you know, men with that silver hair and blue eyes can can really look good and virile. He doesn't. And yeah. I, I tell you, I swear it's because he's plant-based. And you'll see celebrities where they'll do side-by-sides, people like Brian Sanders who really know the truth and show it. And then you'll go, I don't want I don't want my man to look like that. And I don't want, women get puffy, men look gaunt. Yeah. Well, and I mean, we've got muscle, right? Which is our biggest, uh, should be our biggest currency that we trade in. And the reality is, is men, you know, their testosterone is declining at a rate that's unbelievable. That muscle mass is declining. Um, there's some interesting research out right now that's coming into pesticides being partly driving the drop in testosterone in men. Well, I'm sorry, last I checked, but a cow doesn't have pesticide all over it. Right. We know what does. 
right? right? And so, yeah, there's some huge health concerns here in terms of um, this plant-based piece. And I mean, ladies, we lose our muscle. It is so hard to get it back once we hit our 40s. So, you know, that should be something that we're prioritizing. And if that is your priority, animal protein has to be part of your life. Yeah. Uh, there are just so many benefits. To me, you you can't accept the fact that aging, you have to accept the fact that aging has to include animal proteins. It's just hard. I mean, if we're all about trust the science, I say with my tongue in my cheek, but honestly, <laughs> if you're saying trust the science, let's trust it on things that help build muscle. And that we know that uh, building muscle is lifting heavy weights produces testosterone. Right. And, and that's one and thing. growth hormone. And, oh, and human growth hormone. Okay. As an intermittent faster, I know that's one of our things we tout is the benefits of yeah. HGH during um, the, the fast, what fasting does for our body. So also testosterone does that. So women yeah. want to keep a certain amount of testosterone. And does that drop automatically, Kristen, in your 40s, just as estrogen starts to drop and progesterone does? No, usually progesterone is going to be the first thing that we see tank and it, it, once it starts its decline, it's not coming back. Estrogen becomes a little erratic. It's declining, but it's moving up and down while it's on its slope of decline. Okay. Testosterone can stick around for quite some time. I mean, our adrenals are going to make testosterone okay. as long as a woman, you know, hasn't crossfitted herself and starved herself to the point where she has no adrenal function. She should have sufficient androgens in the tank for quite some time. So it's a piece that we can keep leveraging into our fifties easily. Well, but now, and maybe Maria, you can help with this. We know through um, the book, Dr. Ben Bickman's book, Why We Get Sick, mm -hmm. uh, which is a fascinating read uh, about um, polycystic ovarian syndrome, which those are women who have too much then testosterone. They'll have the hair on the chin, they'll have the acne, you know, oily skin, some other things. So they have testosterone, but that's when I guess too much of it is not a good thing. Well, I, it can be. Uh, so there are different phenotypes of PCOS. Um, it's really kind of an issue of inflammation and insulin resistance. And sometimes, you know, we also want to think that, you know, women, uh, you might hear this a lot, women with uh, PCOS have like estrogen dominance, like so just right. have like high estrogen and low uh, progesterone. Well, that can be, but very often we can find women who, who have um, low estrogen PCOS. So Oh. Yeah. It can be any combination. It's not one thing. But and I would say high estrogen on itself is not going to cause those androgenic symptoms. This has to be an or a androgen metabolism that causes the hair, the you know, oily skin, the ragey stuff, the balding and all of that kind of stuff. So, you know, that's we see women with robust amounts of testosterone and absolutely no symptoms whatsoever because their metabolic pathway is down the what we call five beta pathway versus the five alpha androgenic. And so that piece of it needs to be understood too. And we can influence the way that metabolism happens in the body. It's not about getting rid of the testosterone. For goodness sakes, if you've got a lot of it, hang on to it and harness it. Oh, I never thought of it that way. Yeah, we start thinking it's evil for right. these women mm -hmm. who are suffering because they're saying... And I've always wondered why does high testosterone, which in a man, it keeps him fit and trim, yet in a woman with PCOS, she presents with insulin resistance and they want to put him on glucophage, metformin, other things. So how, how is that, how is our paradigm so different from a man's because of our estrogen then? Well, so our primary female hormone is estrogen and a, a man's primary, fe uh, not female hormone, male hormone. Uh, <laughs> primary male hormone or just primary hormone of men is testosterone. And so when we, um, when we have inflammation and when we have insulin resistance in the body, women will actually kind of change some of that estrogen into testosterone, not good. Men, on the other hand, will actually change some of that testosterone into estrogen. So we got to kind of stay in our hormone lane. Yeah, that's how we get the man boobs, right? The men yeah. get the man boobs and the women get the chin hair. It's really a very similar problem. It's just manifesting differently because the arrows of direction of conversion are swapped. Right. I see that William Davis, who wrote uh, Wheat Belly, and he just, mm -hmm. he has a new book out, Super Gut or something. I have it right over yeah. there. Um, he's the first time I ever heard that when he said men who eat gluten, 
it in a man will characterize an estrogen. They'll produce estrogen and that's the man with the man boobs. And I went that, I mean, I didn't realize it's actually the same hormone we get. And then, you know, they'll have to go have a breast lift someday if they don't, if they don't slow down on the gluten. So everybody slow have down. Have you seen on a picture gluten. of Bill Gates recently? Okay. Now, is that not the funniest thing with the belly? World well, Health and Advisor. Mr. Plant-Based. And right? he's plant-based. I mean, mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's eat our alternative meats mm-hmm. or food products, however mm, we want to call I it. Um, and plenty of processed grains. And, you know, there's a reason why we have funny emoji jokes between a pregnant man belly and a, you know, yeah. iPhone and Bill Gates memes. Right, so. right, right, right. Yeah. Elon yeah. Musk, I saw that conversation. Very yeah. funny. Um, well, there's a lot to talk about too with, because um, we're talking about hormones and thyroid is the beloved hormone that so many of us, either through Hashimoto's thyroiditis, you know, ours, my little gland there is dead. <laughs> She's just, mm. she tuckered out there, but I replace her every day with a natural preparation of armor mm-hmm. thyroid. No big deal. It's the only medicine I've that in my bioidentical hormone replacement, what I have to take in order to be upright and delightful every day. And my family thanks, <laughs> you know, modern science for inventing that. But let's talk about the thyroid's role then. Because the thyroid is the gas pedal to the body, does it control, and it's part of the endocrine system, does it control then how much estrogen we're pushing out, how much testosterone we're pushing out, and what our progesterone's doing? I mean, it controls progesterone uh, when when we actually, ov- so it helps with ovulation, right? Yeah. Okay. But it's, it's, you know, the gas pedal for our sex hormones is going to be your ovaries, Right. For our women, it's it's a gonadal hormone and that's that. But there is an important interplay with estrogen and thyroid. Um, They have kind of a crosstalk that's really, really important. They've got their own relationship that needs to be managed. And you might have seen it when you started HRT is that when we sort of increase our estrogen levels in midlife and beyond, we end up with increasing binding proteins. And that means we're going to have fewer or less uh, thyroid-free hormone available. Oh, and so many women on okay. HRT will see this sort of sudden thyroid presentation that they either didn't have before or they were managing prior with um, their thyroid medicine, and suddenly they need to change things. And that's simply because estrogen increases these binding proteins. They kind of inadvertently mop up that free thyroid, and so your thyroid needs a little support. But the reality is we also have a aging thyroid. I mean, that gland is not, you know, ever present. So, um, you know, a lot of times women will blame thyroid dysfunction on estrogen and that's just patently unfair. Got it. Got it. Okay. I just thought that in my mind, I remember telling my endocrinologist years ago, I said, if we know women in their forties and fifties start looking at hormone replacement therapy, this was 20 years ago, so I didn't know about bioidentical then. So just hormone replacement therapy. I said, why aren't we just putting thyroid hormone in the water for anyone over 40? <laughs> and he said, it's not, you know, he kind of laughs. It's not a bad idea because he said as women age, you know, it all kind of peters out, we know, and, you yeah. know, to revitalize it. And obviously, like I said, it's kept me alive all these years and I'm delightful because of it. Okay. So before, so I was diagnosed with thyroid disease about 20 years ago, my late 30s. And so I wasn't looking yet at hormone, bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. And all I knew about was that stuff made from horse urine that, you know, I wouldn't take now. So when did we start talking about the bioidentical plan for people like me who love it? How long has that been around? I, uh, well, um, so we had the fallout like in early, what was it, 2002 mm-hmm. of the WHI. Yes. And I'm going to say... Um, Probably maybe close to like 10 years after that is when BHRT really started to kind of come to the forefront. Uh, yeah. I was going to say, fact, it was now we've 2010, got 2010, 2012, somewhere nope. in there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, good. And for me, it's magical, but let's talk about, Kristen, tell people their options as they age. What are their, I would say there are two different options, but there may be more, meaning the bioidentical oh, sure. and the other stuff. There's a whole spectrum. And, um, you know, this is something I would say, first of all, for women to hear that you don't have to wait till you're in menopause to consider any of these options. That's That's, really, really important. Mm -hmm. You know, menopause is a man-made construct. It's just a definition we created in order to create this sort of gate. Um, And for everyone, it means the same thing, which is 12 months without a cycle. That doesn't mean 
that you couldn't benefit from HRT prior to that magical finish line that you cross or gate that you pass through. Um, and in fact, many of our mentors would say it is imperative that you start it in perimenopause in order to preserve cognitive function and some of the other things that decline most rapidly during perimenopause. So that would be the first thing I'd say. But um, you know, as for the spectrum, we kind of start with the far end of you do nothing, right? You replace nothing. Um, and well, wait, then wait, wait, whoa, of, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's stop there. The yeah. woman who replaces nothing, does she know her family hates her? there's some women who go through it and literally think it didn't affect me i had no symptoms i didn't change whatsoever there are women for whom that is their reality okay yep so, yeah but that's irrelevant because they're gonna wish they started it in yeah you know yeah. about 10 years later yeah yeah it's yeah. what they don't know is coming but um, so then we kind of have this, you know, what the WHI taught us was that MPA, synthetic progestins, are the worst thing we could do. So that would be kind of your next thing, which unfortunately we still see HRT in the context of birth control pills, right? Oh. We still have OBGYNs doing that. So that would be the next worst thing. And we'd almost say don't replace if you're going to do birth control. Um, and then we kind of get into the pellet realm, which we can have a discussion on pellets. Um, and then we get into, you know, a lot of FDA approved bioidentical hormones. So that's going to be things where the delivery vehicle or the delivery mechanism was patentable and approved by the FDA. So that's going to be the patch. Um, there is oral Premarin, which is the horse urine. Um, there are injections. And then we start getting into the bioidentical compounded formulations, which are often creams. Um, and that's going to be your, you know, transdermal is a patch as well, but you can get transdermal creams. You can get um, trochies, which are like little lozenges. Um, and, you know, it kind of, you can kind of go up this spectrum until you get to what the tippy top, as far as Marie and I are concerned, is a physiologic rhythmic dosing of compounded bioidentical creams. So that's, you know, a more complicated sort of routine to follow, but that is going to most identically mimic the rhythm that we all enjoyed in our 20s, 30s, and maybe 40s. And how is that ascertained through blood serum testing, urine testing? The levels? Yeah, the levels and yep. then for blood. the dosing. <clears throat> Yeah. I mean, blood serum testing is absolutely the gold standard. Doesn't matter if you're working with a naturopath or an MD or a PA or whomever, that should be the benchmark that they're using along with your symptoms. And this is a huge thing for me and Maria is we have, um, we won't name it, but a certain medical society that thinks they never need to test. You just talk to the woman and see what her symptoms are. Well, I don't know. Do you know when you're getting osteoporosis? Are you able to go to right. your doctor and say it, right? right. That your estrogen is right. so low, your bones are brittle. Right. Um, so that's kind of a load of crap is, is relying only on women's symptoms because we normalize a lot. We live with things and we don't complain. Um, or they only test and never talk to the women, which again, not a good option because a woman can still be having a hot flash with an estradiol of 100. That means it's not enough for her. So, you know, we need to be taking both and providers we're, you know, they should be committed to monitoring that. They should be committed to, you know, looking at you every quarter for the first couple of years and then every six months and, you know, really getting you to this sort of place of homeostasis, which with whatever HRT regimen you choose. All right. All right. All right. Now, Maria, I know I'm having to think because some of those are new terms to me. And sure. um, that's why we'll get into that. Um, Maria, when we first started so 20 years ago, is that when we were told that there was a high cancer risk for replacing estrogen and the other hormones? Uh, <clears throat> yes, and that's still being promulgated today. Now, yeah. is that with only synthetic or do the bioidenticals? Um, so are you asking what's, what's true, what we believe to be, or are you asking what is being kind of talked about by the by MDs. Well, they lie and they have a financial stake in things. So I, I, I can't be objective about that. I want to know what yeah. you have uncovered because you have a different stake. You really want people to feel better. Yeah. We don't believe that hormone therapy causes cancer at all. I mean, if, if, if it did, Lisa, then pregnant women uh, would be getting uh, cancer in droves. And, right. and that's because right. 
estradiol, which is the hormone that we, the estrogen we do replace, or we should be replacing, you know, at or around menopause is at its highest, like, you know, thousands of, uh, we'll say picograms in, in, uh, pregnancy in pregnant women. And, you know, they're, it can happen, but it's not common for pregnant women to get cancer. So can hormone therapy kind of bring to light, bring to surface, maybe a kind of a cancer that's already brewing? Yes. And sure. that could actually be a blessing uh, that it would bring it to light so that it could be dealt with. Oh. Um, but we, you know, we know, um, we know we have colleagues and, and, and clients that, you know, have been on hormone therapy and they get cancer and they get the cancer dealt with and they go right back on their hormone therapy. Um, so, yeah. So we always like to say, you know, cause the biggest concern with women just kind of push the elephant out of the room is breast cancer. Right. right. Um, so your two biggest risk, risk factors are birthdays and breasts. So basically being a woman and growing older. Yeah. 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 And I mean the WHIPs, hopefully your listeners know that, study where they drew all these conclusions about heart disease and cancer and everything else was conducted on women who were 10, 15 years past menopause, 65 and up. They were obese. Right. They were smokers. Right. They had type two diabetes. Right. They were never pre-screened for cancer. Oh my gosh. And there's, and then they were given synthetic progestin. Oh. So I mean, it was literally everything could possibly go wrong. And right. yet those conclusions and those sort of old wives tales generalizations about HRT as a body of treatment are still being taught in medical school today. I'm so sorry. it doesn't matter if your doctor's a 60, 70 year old dude, or it's a nice 35 year old female, they still believe the same thing. And that's what we're up against. I have two um, health coaching clients that help them with their fasting regimen who, um, you know, anytime I talk to them and one girl said, well, I'm waking up at 3 a.m. and I'm sweating. And I said, and she has the resources. She She's in Dallas-Fort Worth. I said, no, have you not seen a naturopath or somebody to help you? She said, oh, my doctor told me uh, five years ago after I had breast cancer, I could never take hormone replacement therapy. Well, y'all just shoot me. I mean, and I don't know the answer because as I say, every time I meet with them or I do in the very beginning is my attorney wanted me to tell you, I'm not giving you medical advice. You know, right. I'm just trying to get you to live your best life through lowering your insulin and some other things. But that one kind of stumps me every time. I've, and I have another one whose sister had breast cancer and she's 63 and she's sweating like a fool, you know, at inopportune times. And it's the same thing. Well, my doctor told me because my sister had breast cancer that I could never we hear it all the time. And I'm here to tell you, I have a family history of breast cancer. That's quite strong. My mother was diagnosed with breast cancer three times, starting in her early forties. She had it bilateral. And it's, this is something that to be perfectly honest, one of our mentors would say, there's more evidence that a woman with deficient and deranged hormones is at higher risk for breast <sighs> cancer than a woman with replete hormones. So, you know, it was with eyes wide open, fully informed. I absent a BRCA diagnosis, right? Absent a genetic SNP in which you yourself has been diagnosed and, and determined to have along with a family member in which that gene SNP has manifested in cancer. Anytime we hear women say cancer runs in my family, we just kind of have to politely nod our heads because that means nothing. And, you know, cancer, if anything, generally in the body is an inflammatory condition that is frequently driven by obesity and blood sugar dysregulation. And what we want to say to these women is, guess what? Lifestyle choices run in the family too. So your biggest right. risk factor is to live your life the way your sibling or whomever got cancer did. But absent that true genetic SNP presentation, there is absolutely no reason for a woman to decline HRT unless she is actively treating an active cancer. Right. That's amazing. So a woman listening right now could be in her 60s, has never used it before. She could start. Yeah. It's a little trickier though. Uh, yeah. And, okay. Yeah. She's outside of like likely going to be outside of like all the literature says there's a critical window hypothesis, a timing oh, hypothesis. Okay. It's possible. But the problem is, is if she's got some plaques, estrogen can be a problem. So All right. that's why, Lisa, that's why we're so incredibly passionate about getting this information out now so that women 
uh, can make that decision like when they're in their perimenopausal and newly menopausal years. So yes, it's possible, but you know, it's just, it, it's a little bit dicier. Yeah. She's, we have a client in her seventies who just started HRT. Yeah, she's That's, super healthy. And she feels <laughs> yeah. great. Oh my gosh. And she, <laughs> right. she loves, she comes home from Brook Club and she sends us messages like I ate my steak while they all ate their salad and I'm the only one who didn't fall asleep. So um, <laughs> I love it. I love it. But it's, you know, that's the thing is if you find the right provider who's willing to, you know, give you a coronary artery calcium scan, who's willing to look at fractionated lipids and understand your inflammation, okay. there's nothing that's stopping you. It just does require better oversight. Hi, friends. As you can see, I have a lot of enthusiasm about intermittent fasting. That's because it changed my life and the way I think back in 2017. In fact, it's infected every part of my life now in lowering our insulin loads that I became a student at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition in New York. And now I have my certification as an integrative nutrition health coach. That means that I'm seeing clients. I can do that through obviously Zoom calls. You can do that through FaceTime. You can do that one-on-one -on -one in person. And if you're interested in becoming a client of mine, you can just email me healthcoaching at lisafishersaid.com. We'll put that link in the show notes, healthcoaching at lisafishersaid.com. Now back to the program. Okay, great. Two things that come up from what you're saying, two, two points. One was the, was it the Framingham study? Is that what the WHI, whatever that one, the, the big study. Yeah. Um, those were the same people who were dying of COVID, yes. obese, Yet we all had to suffer with the rules, right? And and the right. standards, which I, I was saying the whole time, but I'm healthy. <laughs> but, I, but it didn't matter because right. they, they make a blanket statement on all yeah. of us. We were all penalized because of this group of people. And number two, the other thing I feel like, and I hate to be so frank here, but remember my Jersey girl shows up and that is that it almost turns into virtue signaling of, I don't do hormone replacement therapy as they're yes. there with a mustache and a belly and they're sweating. Well, it's also a little bit, if I'll say, I think it's less nowadays, but I would say maybe five or 10 years ago, it was a little bit more of a feminist take. Like, you know, gotcha. I, I'm totally. not going to do it. Yeah. Totally. yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to, yeah. The patriarchal, right. white patriarchal yeah. society telling me, well, good. If you, I get, this is how I've said about COVID. I don't care what you do with your body and you don't, don't mind me. Because I don't care, but I, from as for me and my house, I'm going to feel my best, and that's yeah. what replacement therapy has definitely Absolutely. done for me and my butt well, cheeks. <laughs> but look at the, the that demographic today. What is it, Maria? I think average sixty five or seven year olds on fifteen prescription medications it's or something crazy, right? So we always say to women who kind of push back with that, I'm going to age naturally. We're like, you're right. And it's the same, right. it's the same finish line, death, right? Like right. at the end of the day, right. um, the prize is, you know, six feet under. Um, but, at, but really you're trading, you are making a trade. And the trade is to kind of lock in your metabolic health and protect your hormone sufficiency now or accept Ambien, a statin, mm -hmm. usually mm -hmm. some Xanax, marriage you know, Fosamax, marriage counseling, mm -hmm. you name it, a dry vagina, no sex until right. you're 90. Right. I mean, so it, I get the whole I want to age naturally thing. But Marie and I even, we, we kind of giggle. We have a little bit different take on this. But when I go to the doctor <laughs> and they ask me what my prescriptions are or, you know, am I taking any medications with a perfectly clear conscience and straight face, <laughs> I say no. Now I am taking HRT. I take estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone every day. And I take thyroid hormone every day. But you're replacing. But I, it's not a drug. You're replacing. Right. And if I were 30 and cycling at the moment, would they? Would I respond with, well, my ovaries are providing me these drugs. I mean, right. No. Right. Right. So, I, you know, that's the thing. It's like natural. I feel like I'm doing it pretty darn naturally because I have yeah. no script that is putting something in my body that my body didn't make on its own. Right. Or couldn't have. So I yeah. will say that I tend to, so it's usually like the um, assistant or someone, right, taking your chart before the doctor comes in or the dentist. And, you know, they're usually like kind of middle-aged women that are unhealthy and have a lot of weight on. I'm just kind of painting a visual picture. No, it, and they'll ask like what medications you're on. And I'll say, oh, estrogen, progesterone, thyroid. 
and they'll be a little flummoxed. Like, I, and I kind of almost want to like have a conversation. <laughs> so that's right. why I say it. No, I, I think it's wonderful. And um, I remember, cause I, I do push good health. And one day my husband heard me talking to a client. He was kind of like in and out. And I said that uh, the only medicine I take is uh, thyroid. And he's the one who said, but you're like, he goes, you're not taking a drug. And he said, cause you're right. just taking something that your little gland died and you have to replace it. And I thought that that's a good way to put it. So I think it's fun because I have to have um, the dreaded colonoscopy. I do have a rare swallowing disorder, so I have to have it. I mean, I guess everyone should, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but when they called today and said, what? She goes, are you on an inhaler? Are you on glucophon? I mean, all these things. No, right. no. I go, you haven't seen me. I go, if you saw me, you would know because I don't have a risk factor. You know, you know, when somebody's overweight, they probably right. are on metformin. Um, high blood pressure medicine sure. could be on a statin and, but she doesn't know. She's just calling me on the phone. And so, you yeah. know, then I have to tell everybody then when she says, you know, you can't eat after midnight, I go, girl, I won't <laughs> eat for two days. I'm a faster. I mean, but again, that just makes people go, what you haven't eaten since Saturday. And I go, no, and I haven't died. So that's another <laughs> conversation, but it's again, I do think intermittent fasting along with my bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, I've never had a hot flash. And there's something about fasting that I know communicates with our hormones. It may be the extra human growth hormone and the other things. So I, I know I sympathize with women who are waking up sweating in the middle of the night. It just hadn't happened to me. I will tell you my first symptom though, in my forties, um, I had to get up at three 45 anyway, cause I was on the radio and you know, you have to be there early for that morning show, but I would wake up right at three o'clock. And I remember my husband having no sympathy going, you're going to get up at three 45 anyway. It's not a big deal. And I went, Oh, those last 45 minutes are a <laughs> huge deal. And yeah. so I, I found a healthcare provider who agreed with me and he hasn't said that since. And that's how he's lived to this day. But is is that progesterone dip the first thing we see kind of in 40s, do you think? Or maybe yes. earlier. And it's not a dip. It's a decline. It just starts okay. dropping. Estrogen does its dipping, you know, kind of up and down, yeah. up and down. But progesterone is going to be the first thing. And, and a lot of women don't understand that because they think since they're still cycling that they must mm -hmm. have adequate progesterone. But the reality is many women from 43, 44 on, the yeah. odds of your cycles being ovulatory cycles are pretty slim. I would say I was about 43 that just all of a sudden, this crazy Classic. thing. I mean, yeah. so wide common. yes, wide awake. Um, yeah. So do you, that's kind of, let's say the first, and I'm just telling people, so they're listening, because that's another thing I get a little pushback for if I do a health coaching group is, well, my doctor told me because I'm still cycling. So no, say, you, you know, you can have a, uh, you can menstruate without ovulating. So, um, oh, that's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah. That's a good way to look at yeah. that. And, and without the ovulation, we're not making adequate progesterone. Okay. So, so progesterone, I guess I'll take till I, I guess I'll do all this till I die. Right. We are, we plan, okay. we're planning <laughs> on it. Yeah. 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 Cause I want to sleep through the night and other things. I tell you, you be happy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. My mood is great. Uh, one other symptom that I've had recently, um, and I looked it up cause you know, that's what Dr. Google's for. But I was like, what is this is uh, not, it was called like nocturnal urination. It was ah. when you have this low estrogen, y'all, you get up every two hours to pee. And I yes. mean pee, not like, Oh, I think I have to pee. You get up, even I've cut off liquids, liquids at 6 and 7 p.m. And it has something to do with estrogen. Explain that magic to me. So estrogen impacts our vasopressin, which is an antidiuretic hormone. Right. And, you know, the reality is we all wake up, even if we slept through the night, we wake up with a very full bladder. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. the, the difference is, is that when ADH or vasopressin is off, we don't get that signaling that we don't need to empty right now. And so any bit kind of gathering in the bladder wakes us up because that hormone shift says alert it's time to go empty and that's part of what's happening and so you know with women sometimes we have to just kind of splice out are you waking up and then going pee or are you waking up because you have to go pee right and that can help us understand like is this a dip in progesterone is this a spike in cortisol or is this low estrogen right because if you're you know, oh, definitely peeing yeah. all the time it's likely going to be this imbalance with the ADH and vasopressin that you know, really is triggering that needing to, to urinate at night. 
Yeah, and during the day. I noticed too, when my estrogen was low, my urgency to urinate was much greater during the day as well. So there definitely that combination. That's it. Some people have said, well, I think my cortisol's off. That's why I'm waking up in the middle of the night or at 3 a.m., which I always err on the side of caution and go, if you have, I heard a doctor once say a 3 p.m. and 3 a.m. dip is hormonal. If, if, if you have a, if at 3 p.m. you want to take this nap at 3 a.m. you want to wake up, it's likely hormonal. So I always, and I know cortisol is a hormone, but I always assume that it's estrogen. Um, so let's talk, that's estrogen. What are some other low estrogen? Because I've, mine's been replaced, but I missed my pellet for a few months. And you know what I was thinking? I'm good. I can do this. I'm fine. <laughs> and then my healthcare provider is a nurse practitioner. And she said, let's just keep you on every, so because I do the pellets every three months, let's just do that. So you don't come in kind of going, okay, I've had some really crappy night's sleep because I'm peeing so much. So now I'm on the calendar, but what are some other things that people see with low estrogen? What I was saying was I haven't had dryness or the other things women have had because I think I've replaced so well, but what are the other common things, Maria, you can help So anything from dry eyes to dry vagina to moods, moodiness to headaches, um, and those are just, you know, the things that, that we can see to like, um, achiness. What about the hair, the brittle hair that comes about? Is that from low estrogen? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. That, that is, is menopause. Dry skin, that crepey skin. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, the crepey skin. Mm-hmm. But since progesterone drops first, I think one of the things that women are overlooking in their forties, early forties, and I think it's partly a confluence of kind of that stage of life and the role of life that we're taking where everyone's caregiver, life's frenetic, we're going 50 directions, you know, covering everyone's needs, ours are low, we don't like to indulge and take care of ourselves. Um, We start seeing a lot of anxiety and that's directly related to progesterone. Mm -hmm. So a lot of women who never had generalized anxiety before suddenly feel anxious. That's not something you easily discuss at the bus stop with your girlfriends because it's somewhat embarrassing. You're a little confused as to what is happening to me right now, right? So anxiety, the lack of sleep, the anxiety, the shifting cycles, um, you know, the headaches can be both the progesterone and the estrogen, um, but that foggy brain too, that's another thing. I mean, I used to joke that I needed to make lists in order to remind me where my other lists were of what to do, right? (laughs) I get it. I totally get it. Yeah. And that's the progesterone spike or decline. So, you know, oh. that piece of it, a lot of women, you and you just kind of, we've normalized it, right? We kind of joke about it. We think it's no big deal. We're having a glass of wine because that helps with the anxiety. That's what and, I was doing. I was drinking yeah. red wine because I thought it would calm me down. It didn't help at all. No. no. It probably made it worse because then I couldn't mm-hmm. sleep. When I went to bed, then I woke up an hour later. So And it's probably screwing up your estrogen too. So oh. it's you've got all that stuff happening. And then you have this estrogen, which is doing this. And like Maria said, then all of a sudden you start aching and you're like, oh my God, I feel so old. The belly pooch is going to be the next thing that comes. And that's when, what do women do? They go plant-based. They start doing calories in, calories oh. out. They start exercising. And it just be, and you know, what women need to understand is at this moment, Your ovaries are naturally going to sleep. That's what they're supposed to do. Their time is up, but they're handing the baton to your adrenals. And so if your adrenals are completely flat out because you have been over-exercising, slamming wine at night to get through, you know, not taking care of yourself, it's a really bad brick wall that you're about to hit. What is your opinion on... Uh, after a woman's had a hysterectomy, which I always tell people, keep your parts. And someone fussed at me the other day and said, quit telling people to quit, keep their parts because she had to get rid of her cervix or uterus, sorry, her uterus. Okay. I take it back for that one girl listening, but the rest of you try to keep your parts, I guess I want to say, but for the girls that do have to get rid of their parts, they said their doctors are telling them they don't need that ovaries are taken, that they don't need progesterone. True or false? No, it's so no. Progesterone has beneficial effects elsewhere in the body. It's it's again, it's very a very reductionistic thing in conventional medicine to think that you know your your uterus is gone. We know that estrogen alone will absolutely proliferate. You know that cell growth at the uterine lining, and so with that gone, um, they don't think well. Progesterone has effects with uh, sleep. I mean, if, right. if I can just give one right. reason, it's helpful yeah. for sleep for so many women it's helpful for breasts it just it's that 
gather, oh, right? Yeah. 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 There's so many reasons. Yeah. So no. Mm-mm. You need your progesterone, regardless if you have your parts or not. So if you don't have your parts, then you really aren't making progesterone. They will, really will see that. I mean, even if you have your parts, you're not. Right. Once you're menopausal, you're not making progesterone yeah. at all. Yeah. Yeah. I was. But yeah. we see Lisa too. Some women will get a hysterectomy and they'll keep their ovaries, right? So maybe they had a hysterectomy because they had fibroids in their late 30s, and they get a hysterectomy in their early 40s. They keep their ovaries. And they're they're they don't know when they're going to stop bleeding, right? Because now they have no uterus. But their doctor will say, you still have your ovaries, you're fine, you don't need hormones. And that is another huge disservice to women because it's been shown that when we remove those parts, there is an alteration of the blood supply to the ovaries. They are going to start to take a hit and their function declines a little bit more rapidly than if you left everything in there. So women who have their uterus removed but still keep their ovaries they too still need to be thinking about HRT. Well, well, they're kind of still cycling, aren't they? Even though there's nothing yeah. to shed the lining yeah. from, there's right. still a hormonal still making the hormones, yeah. yeah. But yeah. It's, uh, we, we do, we really think that it's it, um, it slows down. And I will tell you that I had my tubes tied when I was 30. Um, and I am convinced that I was menopausal at 47 because of that operation. And that was just a tubal ligation. So in a tubal ligation, do you still drop the egg and it doesn't go anywhere? Right. Okay. It's reabsorbed so, by the body. Okay. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you're still producing then yeah, the hormones. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's had nothing to do with my reproductive parts, yeah. Yeah. so to speak. I just, um, I, I'm just convinced of it. And I don't, there's, there's not going to be anything in the scientific literature. It's all going to be anecdotal and what, you know, women's experiences, but it's, uh, it's, it's a thing. Um, I often say for people, cause I have been a thyroid advocate for years. Cause once you get diagnosed after you've been told you're fine, pat me on the leg and just told me I needed to take a nap or lose five pounds, whatever it was. And I was like, ah, something's wrong. Like I knew so- my family, knew- my husband knew something was wrong and they gave me uh, something that's equivalent of a Tic Tac called Synthroid. Oh, it sure. was like taking a Tic Tac, I said, and it made me gain weight and sleep. I said, I could do that for free at home. And then I found this wonderful thing that's a natural preparation. I take NP thyroid. Um, but I, I liken that when people say, but my doctor only gave me this option. And I said, well, I'll tell you, Armour Thyroid doesn't have a drug rep. So no one wins a trip to Cabo if <laughs> they're writing Armour. They, they really, and not to say there's a kickback, but did somebody get a kickback? You know, I mean, there isn't it. They incentivize healthcare providers. We know that. We've seen it. I mean, we know that. But it's the same thing with the synthetic hormones for women. It makes me so angry when patients will tell me or my clients will tell me, well, they didn't tell me about bioidentical hormone replacement. How do they have that conversation then with someone who isn't a provider of an alternative way? They speak you don't. To us. <laughs> you, 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 you don't. You seek out the education okay. from those who have it. Yeah. And then you get a new provider. And that's one of yeah. the things that we do with a lot of our clients. I mean, all of our clients get a very long list of kind of a curated list of practitioners that Maria and I vet. And there are practitioners who were on that list who are not on that list any longer because maybe they changed their business model and they are no longer serving women in the same way. So we take that piece of it, that partnership with the provider very, very seriously. We interview these providers extensively. We kind of have some ongoing contact with them too. Good. And we use them ourselves. You know, that's another thing. So Uh, I tell you what is so fascinating is your social media is so good, so informative. And you absolutely knocked me over a month or two ago when, and I sent it to my nurse practitioner and said, I'm giving up alcohol. She said, why? And I said, because of the, is it the estrone? There was like some words that I wasn't even familiar with. And she yeah. agreed. It creates more estrone. And okay, you, know, so, you don't, you don't need alcohol to do that. Your body will do it on its own. So you said if you're doing any type of, was it any type of hormone replacement therapy or just bioidentical at that point? Uh, any type, any, any type okay. of hormone. Re- yeah. You said you need to Step away from the wine bottle. Yeah, step away and quite from- frankly, even women who aren't doing HRT, alcohol is going to just create more estrone. So estrone. Why don't you explain the difference between yeah. estrone and estradiol? Yeah. So okay. So why we love estradiol for HRT and not estrone and not estriol, which by the way, a lot of women will use a combination of estradiol and right. estriol, and that's called biased. We right. love estradiol because estradiol equally signals the alpha receptor and the beta receptor. Okay. Okay. And so we have this sort of controlled 
growth. We have growth control, growth control. That's that's what estradiol does in signaling those two main receptors. Estrone signals primarily the alpha receptor. So you have more kind of potential for growth and less potential for control. Uh, and estriol signals mostly the beta receptor, which again, okay. you have, I mean, this is super overly simplistic, but just for kind of podcast purposes, I think it's appropriate. Um, you have, um, you know, a lot of control and maybe not enough stimulation of what needs to be stimulated. Right. Yeah. So. Got it. Got it. Got it. Um, have we defined what estrogen dominance is? Because <laughs> how do we have low estrogen and we call it an estrogen's dominant? Explain that math to me. Oof, we could do a whole podcast on yeah, this. Yeah, I mean, we actually just today said uh, we need to get rid of the term estrogen dominance, to be perfectly honest. Um, Why? It's misleading? Yeah. It's misleading. It's you extremely. Know? Yes. Yeah, I think that um, historically and still in most conventional circles, it is thought of as an overproduction of estrogen. That you right. have high estrogen, right? That that makes sense. The term dominance just kind of conjures that image up. Um in women in midlife and perimenopause and, and postmenopausal, that is not your problem. You do not have excess estrogen. Um, where it gets kind of confusing for midlife women is that we talked about the progesterone's on this constant decline. The estrogen too starts to decline. Okay. It waits a little bit longer than the progesterone in most women. So progesterone's um, always first, right? Progesterone's yes. always okay. first. And as estrogen starts to go down, we kind of have these gasping breaths out of the ovaries that sort of spurt, you know, our estrogen's right. more erratic, but it's erratic on a decline. Okay. Okay. And it's that, that kind of gap between the two in which we can have feeling symptoms of estrogen dominance, but you're really not estrogen dominant. You're still low estrogen. Okay. So that's why we don't love the term. There's also a possibility that a woman is low estrogen, but because she's not pooping, she's got bad gut health and everything else, she's getting sort of a double exposure to estrogen at the tissue level because she's recirculating it. That can make her feel estrogen dominant in that traditional term of excess estrogen, when in reality, she has very low estrogen. She just has very poor metabolism, detox, and methylation. So that's why that estrogen dominance term does nothing to help okay. women understand what is happening, let alone a provider to understand how to address it. Yeah. And it actually misleads them into thinking that they need to actually get rid of whatever estrogen they have, which is, is usually a very bad idea. Yeah. Doctors will put women on DIM, which is a very popular supplement yes, yes. that helps shuttle estrogen out of the body. And that is the worst possible thing you could do for most midlife women. Ooh. Oh, so men also take DIM if they're taking testosterone replacement, right? Well, some can. Be yeah, okay. because it's it's an aromatase inhibitor. So we, okay. we yeah. So maybe that's why, may, I'm just yeah. trying to think, maybe that's why. But for women to stay away um, from the DIM, that's very, very interesting. I mean, there are some, like, kind of temporary situations where we might use DIM, but very temporary and very specific. Okay. Crossing that yeah, off there, my supplement list. Got it. Do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, we, it pains us when we see that a woman is paying for bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and is on DIM at the same time. We're like, you may as well just flush Especially your money down. Especially if it's a low dose hormone, hormone. therapy. Yeah. Because oh, then like you're paying to get the low dose estrogen in or just the estrogen in, and then you're paying to get it out. <laughs> yeah. them. Right. It'd been cheaper not to do anything. Yeah. Exactly. Stay home. Just stay home. Right. <laughs> um, now does just, so I tried testosterone replacement, but I had teenage boy acne and oily skin and I did try, I mean, she even cut it in half and half. Does you're, you're, you're making, you're making it into five alpha dihydrotestosterone. And how could I have prevented that? Well, um, so there are certain supplements and, um, I, I mean, I'm saying, I'm, I'm assuming you are, cause yeah, that is yeah. most often the case, okay. right? So we often, we will see that on the Dutch urine test that woman's doing that. So there are going to be certain supplements and foods that can help push you towards more of a beta metabolism. So do you both then take testosterone replacement as part of your mm -hmm. protocol? We do. Okay. We do. We use compounded cream. Okay, good, good, good. Cause it had some benefits. I mean, I was texting my husband during the day going, come home, which yeah. I love that. <laughs> but he also probably looked and said, honey, what is, 
I go, I don't know. I had cysts on my face. I had, I hate to tell you all this. I mean, who's listening? I had back knee. Yeah. I had, I had pimples on my back. I'm not a pimple and that's, person. You know, that can often be like a, okay, Lisa, let's look at your gut health. You know, yeah. let's look at kind of how things are moving yeah. in and out. I mean, that's just can be sometimes just a plumbing issue. Yeah. Um, and we can address that. Um, it's not a permanent, you can never take androgens. Okay. It's okay. more, let's address the underlying reason that's shifting your metabolism down that pathway. Well, gut health, you, I mean, it needs its own five hour episode. And yeah. I, I, I've definitely worked on that since then. That was before I knew about gut health. So you're right. I might try it again. What are just some basic things people can do since we just have a few minutes left on addressing gut health to normalize it or get feeding our good uh, gut bacteria and eliminating the bad bacteria for a perimenopausal and postmenopausal woman? Well, uh, they need to eat in a relaxed state. And so we need to get into the parasympathetic state. Everyone thinks like digestion like starts in the mouth, but it actually starts in the brain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we are rushed or stressed, we shut down stomach acid, we shut down um, enzymatic production. And then, you know, then we eat and we feel like it sits in our stomach and and then, you know, we start cutting back on food or we cut out, you know, the, the most nutrient dense foods because we think we don't digest it. We just we need to kind of just slow down when we eat. Kristen likes to give the grandma example. Yeah. I mean, if you think back, if you ever had the joy of sitting at a multi-generational dinner table at the holidays, right? Nobody came to the dinner table with a 30 ounce glass of fluid. Yeah. Um, they usually had their thimble or an aperitif for later. Right. Um, they gave grace and said thanks. They looked around the table and they enjoyed the faces of the family members that they saw. They engaged with their food, smelling it. I mean, first of all, we got to get women cooking their own food, for God's sake, because that doesn't happen as much anymore. But then it's bringing it to the table and smelling it, letting the brain engage, letting those moments of gratitude hit and eating slowly. I mean, I grew up in a family where second generation Americans. I spent a lot of time overseas. It was like slam the food and three hours at the table. That isn't always great either. You know, we need to just chill out and enjoy our food. It's there to nourish us. Now, a lot of women, we've kind of locked in a state of microbiome health that's not so great. So as much as, you know, it can be expensive, it's difficult to armchair quarterback someone's gut health without testing first. They shouldn't be guessing because when we sort of suppress stomach acid chronically, whether it's because of two years of stress of COVID or it's, you know, just chronic teenagers or lots of fluid or aging or whatever, um, we can essentially allow a certain bacteria that's resident in all of our stomachs and it's normal, but we can allow it to bloom and flourish. And that's called H. pylori. And the problem with it is, is that Either people think they have too much stomach acid, so they're taking PPIs or they're taking some sort of acid reducer, um, throwing, you know, God forbid, baking soda down the hatch. And we want people to understand that that's actually a sign that you have low stomach acid because the lower esophageal sphincter only closes when the pH is acidic enough to tell it to close. So if it's stuck open and you're getting that reflux, that's a good sign you have too low stomach acid. Likewise, when your stomach acid is low and that H. pylori flourishes, it inflames the parietal cells of the stomach. We end up now short-circuiting the ability to produce gastric secretions. So we create this really vicious cycle of low stomach acid, inflammation, which stops stomach acid production further. And when that happens, we've got to address that first in people because taking enzymes, throwing some lemon juice in your water, apple cider vinegar, anything before is not going to help. It's actually going to exacerbate that inflammation until you address the H. pylori. So that's usually the first thing is we say, let's not guess, right? Let's test and figure out what's going on. I would say, Maria, what, eight out of 10 clients need their H. pylori addressed. We keep seeing it. Wow. Wow. And then then it's like, do you have an insufficiency issue? Do you have inflammatory, you know, opportunistic bacteria, et cetera? Each person's very individual. We wish there was a one size fits all to how to kind of just instantly address gut health. But that is an issue that needs, you know, individual eyes on it and some testing. Is the Dutch test good? Will it show any of that? 
No, no that's GI for map. hormones. We that's like the GI map. Okay. Yeah. The GI map. Right. I've seen mm-hmm. that too. We're yeah. totally out of time, but people need to follow you on social media. You bring brilliant wisdom. I feel like you're very objective, very open-minded, and you're very women-centric for women improving their health with their decision-making abilities, yeah. which we all have. Wait, sometimes we don't feel like we have it because people tell us you'll do this. And it's good when a woman takes it in her own hands as her own advocate and says, that's not working for me. Absolutely. So I thank you. The women listening right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Lisa Fisher said podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe and download all the episodes and leave a review. Won't you? The Lisa Fisher said podcast is produced by ClantonCreative.com. 